it's time to talk with Liz and Peter. Good morning, my love. Uh, 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 oh. Good morning, my love. Did you like my mid-2000s rap intro version of Good Morning, My Love? I did. It made me smile. Delightful. Uh, how did you sleep last night? Um, it was a no Xanax night. What the fuck? I tried sleeping without it, and I woke up completely alert at 2 a.m. after going to bed at 9 p.m., so I got out of bed at 2.15 and took two Xanax and slept until 7.30, or 7 o'clock. What the fuck? Yeah, I woke up completely alert, and so I did not want to wake up at 2 a.m., so I took a couple Xanax because they last five hours and woke up exactly five hours later. So it was a, still a two Xanax night last night? Yep. Wow. Okay, never mind. I'm not as enthused as I was earlier. Yep. Great. I'll continue to experiment with not taking them, but not if it means I only sleep like six hours. You know, I only sleep six hours a night. I need eight to not be exhausted by the end of my, like... I mean, you just woke up at two and you said you were completely alert. And I also work, you know, I'm up around 7.30 and I work basically from like 8 to 8 o'clock at night. So like these 12-hour days, plus if I do my movement practice that day, I need lots of sleep, like at least eight hours, seven and a half to eight hours to like feel not exhausted at the end of the day. So, yeah. Have you tried melatonin? I have tried melatonin. I think my body naturally produces enough melatonin. Um, Like, I feel tired enough to sleep. I just don't always sleep through the night. Mm -hmm. And so, I might try, like, Z-Quil or something. I don't even know what Z-Quil is. I probably can't afford it. It's the NyQuil for just for sleeping, but not if you're sick. That's weird. Isn't it just, like, sleep sleeping pills? Like Yeah, it's just, like, sleep liquid juice. Sleep juice? Sleep juice. All right. Well, hey, uh, this uh, episode uh, brought to you by Sleep Juice. Today's sponsor, Sleep Juice. You ever just want to be unconscious? Buy more sleep juice. Yep. Okay, what's our topic for today? What are we talking about? Well, I kind of wanted to ask you a question about something you're a bit of an expert in. Oh, shit. And something that kind of pertains to my work as well. And I wanted to ask you about communication. (laughs) Ha! Okay, what about it? Like, your theories behind it, like, you're, te- like you're kind of a communication strategist mm-hmm. um, with your communication and journalism background, what you've done professionally through marketing communications, um, being like a communication strategist of sorts as you're working for yourself now. And I'm kind of curious about what you've learned over the years, what you consider, like, effective techniques for communication, mm-hmm. and how your philosophy around communication has, like, changed over the years. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, A few different things came to mind as you were asking the question. Um, I guess, you know, the the first thing that came to mind was that I did go to school for communication, not not communications specifically as a degree, but journalism. And I one of my degrees. So I completed both the degree tracks in the journalism school at the University of Kansas. One is for news and information and the other one is for strategic communications. And there are, you know, subgenres of, you know, like what specific degree you got. Like, for example, on the news side, I got a, uh, an emphasis in multimedia production and design. So that could be anything from video to audio to the written word to 
draw a cartoon to make a website or do like a photo essay with audio behind it or like any any kind of media really creating it and then the other uh, degree track that I completed was in strategic communications uh, just with an emphasis in advertising Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah so uh, being a strategic communicator is something I'm credentialed in I guess you could say yeah and I've used it for the last 10-ish years, you know, professionally. Um, so I, I guess, you know, basically with strategic communication, you kind of, uh, it's not just communicating, it's it's a lot of different stuff. There's research and planning involved because you got to know what you're going to be communicating about to communicate about it effectively. And then you got to kind of think about your stakeholders, like who are the people involved in the communication? Like, you know, who's writing it, who's reading it, who's making it, who's watching it? You know, what are the, the different power dynamics that are in play? Um, and kind of like, what outcome do you as the creator want the consumer to take as a result of consuming the media that you produce? And so being strategic about, you know, crafting a message uh, to reach the goal that you have in mind is kind of the essence of what I do. Um, So yeah, you know, I've I've used it to help real estate companies sell more self-storage units, you know, to make more money. Uh, Same, you know, multifamily housing with renting apartments and things like that. Uh, You know, small businesses of just about every type (coughs) helped a bunch of therapists, Uh, you know, lawyers, uh, medical professionals. But yeah, just like, you know, anybody that has a business message that they want to get out, that's pretty much what I've been doing as a career for the last 10 years. What about in your personal life? How is your, like, what's your communication strategy when you're trying to get shit done, as we say? This is going to sound really bad, but uh, when I was a little kid especially, I would try to just manipulate people to get whatever I wanted. Yeah. And strategic communication was a big part of that. Because mm-hmm. it, it's the same sort of skills I was talking about. It's like you look at a situation, you look at all of the actors involved in that situation, you make a judgment call on the power dynamics, and then you craft a message to get what you want. And if what I wanted was, I don't know, a toy or ice cream or, you know, whatever a little kid wants normally, right? Um, I got, you know, I got pretty decent, I thought anyway, at the time when I was a child at like getting what I wanted through using words. Um, And that kind of is just translated into every facet of my life Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point where like I've maybe about 15 years ago or so, more than that. Uh, I kind of came to the realization of, like, you can't go through life communicating in this way. Like, you have to use, like, yes, you are skilled at talking to people and convincing them of truths and getting them to do things. But should you use that the way that you have been the past, like, what, 14, 15, 16 years up until that point? Uh, And I was like, no, you're being a shitty person. Like, you, if you have a gift, you need to be using it for good application or at least something that will not get you in trouble in the long run. Um, so, you know, we've, we've talked briefly about like, this was at the same time that I got into like the pickup artist community, you know, cause like what 14 year old kid who's horny doesn't want to learn how to use words to get pussy, right? That's really what it comes down to. And so a lot of the communications theory that I developed during my teenage years was from that culture, right? So like neuro-linguistic programming, right? How are the words that you choose to say, how do they psychologically influence people, right? Cause like, you know, just choosing one word over another matters. You know, it's little stuff like that. Vocal tonality, right? The way that you say something. Liz. Liz! 
right? Like the difference in those things, body uh, posture, like body language, right? Can, can you make people feel things and, and influence their subconscious through those feelings by the way that you position your body, right? So as an interviewer, journalism school, the way that I would apply that, you know what people fucking love? They love eye contact at the start of something, right? But not, not you know, deep penetrating eye contact the whole time. Pick it back up every now and then when you feel the energy waning a little bit. But they, you know what they fucking love? They love it when you sit on like the middle to front part of your seat and you lean in and you kind of lean your hands over in front of you and you maybe put your, your hands together to kind of say, I'm not threatening. Tell me everything because I'm genuinely interested, right? And so that's, that's like part of the way that you communicate with people, even non-verbally, to get them to do what you want. In this context, as a journalist, it would be, tell me all of your deepest, darkest secrets. I'm someone who's trustworthy. Do you see how I'm not threatening you because my hands are closed? My shoulders are narrow? I'm a large man, but because I'm leaning forward, I'm smaller, right? So, so it's things like that, being really intentional about everything that influences uh, a communication situation. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of talking about like 15 years ago when you learned those things as like a teenager. Well, I mean, I still use all that stuff. It's just like, it's been refined and put through a sieve of experience. Well, and, and it, what you told me at one that. point was that you realized that like that type of communication style of like kind of sort of manipulative, like with an uh -huh. intention in mind. Right. Is not a way you wanted to move through life in your personal world any longer. Yeah. Um, so Well, so and I, I think all that comes from like a scarcity, like a place of scarcity because, you know, early in life you know, through different, uh, you know, a series of different unfortunate events, you know, I got lemony snicketed into thinking that I needed to manipulate people to get my needs met. And then realizing that that's what I was doing and then that would negatively affect myself going forward. That's kind of how I uh, led myself to, I don't know if I led myself or something led me, but like that's how I kind of got to that change in thinking. And what did you transition to? So I guess that very first era that we're talking about is probably like zero to 12, you know, like, like preteen, like adolescence. Right. And so then, you know, from maybe like 13 to really like 22, 23, somewhere in there, basically probably like 24. Like when I came back from really when I got into this in earnest in like a, a turning away from the dark side kind of way, I guess you could say was about Korea time, so like 23, 24, yeah. somewhere in there. Cause, so like 10 years ago. So like 10 years ago, yeah. Because um, I had gone through college, you know, thinking like, hey, you shouldn't do that, but like, you're in college. Like, yes, I'm trying to have sex with random women. Yes, I'm fucked up pretty much constantly. Yes, I am trying to get good grades and squeak by and get my degree so that this like $40,000 worth of debt is not for nothing, right? So yeah, I am going to like... I don't know, work with my friends and sometimes do things that could be considered cheating. Um, you know, bah, whatever, who cares? Um, but yeah, so like that was like the transition point, like 18 to 23, but then 24 or so was like really trying to live it. And like, re like even, even if the outcome that I want is not reached in the way that I want it to, having the integrity to operate in a way that does not compromise my morals is more important yeah right so i think that in itself is a little bit of wisdom yeah i would hope um so so that's kind of how it's changed like over the last 10 years it's been more of like uh all right you've got the tools and you've been using the tools and you know the tools are powerful like just 
just fucking apply them the right way, dude. Like, you know what to do. It's not like you don't know what to do anymore. You've done the learning. Apply the motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And so the apply the motherfucker stage has been really fun. And I've actually started to get to teach it to other people, too. Like, at my, you know, previous jobs that I've had before I went back to you know, just being a, a consultant. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a powerful set of skills. And I, I think a lot of it comes from, like you got to be exposed to people who are doing these things to really get it ingrained in you. And we've talked about how, you know, my mom's side of the family especially, they're all talkers. They're all wheelers and dealers. They could all talk about nothing. And they could sell, you know, this is a, a not PC phrase anymore, they, they could sell ice to an Eskimo, right? And they're, they're those type of people. They've always been salespeople or waitresses or, uh, you know, service like people who are just for their job expected to interact with another person and then change money. Like money changes hands at the end of it. Right. Right. And so growing up in that environment, like how do you not have that rub off on you? Like we, we've talked there, we have some family friends, these two brothers, their dad was a liquor salesman for like 40 years and he is the most charismatic dude, right? He can talk to anyone from any social background about anything. The richest CEO wants to talk about wine. This guy can talk about it. The dude who works at your local liquor store who's like got four teeth and he just loves drinking fucking McCormick's vodka from by, by the plastic gallon can talk to that guy too and still have an incredible fucking conversation with both of them. There's no way his kids weren't going to grow up just consummate ladies men, right? Able to talk to anybody, be funny, make people laugh, understand social dynamics, being able to read the room. Right. Yeah. Some people just get lucky like that. And I don't know. I, I just really like seeing, uh, you know, that kind of stuff applied, you know, just in life. Yeah. And I'm curious around like your like effectiveness and like use of like, like the power dynamics involved with your, the skill, the communication skill set you have. And, like, trying to get certain needs, like, outcomes met. Um, I don't know. Do you want to share this story of, like, when you when the car dealership... Oh, yeah. Like, screwed up your situation and then, yeah, like, yeah. how you... Your initial plan versus what you ended up doing. Yes. So, when... Let's see, when was this? This was, like, two months ago, right? This was before Thanksgiving. Because we so were driving like a whole bunch. Three months ago. Yeah, so almost three months ago. So I uh, had to take my car in to get some maintenance done before we did some driving. And uh, basically it was just like, hey, we're just going to switch your oil out. Should be good to go. Uh, you got this other small thing. You know, probably you know, $200 total bill. Long story short, they ended up uh, finding one other thing that was wrong that needed to get fixed legitimately. Uh, and then they accidentally wall replace. Oh, and then they they noticed that my battery was kind of low, so I opted to get it switched out. While they were switching my battery out, they knocked a gasket off of a part of the car and basically just like shot liquid everywhere that fucked some stuff up. Uh, it basically cost me. Or it was gonna cost me like eight hundred some dollars to fix all this stuff, and I was irate because I had spent. Probably, I was supposed to be there for like an hour and a half. I had been there at the end of the first day for like four hours. And then I had to come back on a second day, like while I was still working. And so I was pretty pissed off. And the guy uh, that I'd been working with, the the service rep, was like, yeah, so it's going to be like 800 and some dollars. And I was like, and I, you know, my initial uh, inclination was to be like, absolutely not. Like, fuck you guys. You broke my shit. I, why should I pay for shit that you broke? Like, come on. Da-da-da-da-da. A bunch of other stuff. And 
I caught myself when I was sitting in the lobby waiting to talk to the guy and I thought, all right, what do I want? I want to pay as little money as possible to get this shit fixed. Okay. How, how am I most likely to set myself up to have that happen? And it's probably not going to be motherfucking this guy to his face. So don't do that. Can I find common ground with him and get him to empathize with me in some way? Because the only way that this is going to happen is if he decides that he wants to take the trouble to go to bat for me. So I need to get this guy on my side. What do I do? So I looked around his office, saw a picture, noticed that his partner is black. And so I was like, all right, cool. We both got black partners. Like, might not be the most PC thing to do, but I'm going to use that as like a point of connection. Go up to the deal, start talking. He's like, yeah, it's going to be $800. I was like, listen, man, I got it. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed about this, but I got to ask for a favor. Like, you know. I've had so many different financial things come up. I'm trying to get married this year. And I, to be honest, money is really tight. And anything that I can save is going to be a big thing for me. Like, is there any way that you can help me out? Like, you know, my, my, uh, fiance, you know, she's half Kenyan. Like I see that your wife, you know, I like, come on, help, help me out here. And like, is there anything that you can do for me? And he was like, you know what? Give, give me a second. Like, let me, let me look into this real quick. And so he left. You know, I waited there for about 15 minutes. He came back and he goes, okay, because we knocked the gasket off and that was our fault, we're not going to charge you for that whatsoever. And because of da-da-da-da, we're not going to charge you for these other things whatsoever. So my, my $850 bill ended up being like $375 by the end of it. Wow. And so, and it's just because I kind of manipulated this guy a little bit or like I said, some, like I, nothing that I said was completely untrue, right? But I did do it in a strategic way to try to like put myself in the most favorable light possible. I mean, we're not engaged, but... Right. I mean, we're common law married. Fair. So, I mean, it's not the it's not a 100% lie. But anyway, yeah, so I basically saved myself 400 bucks more, like, just by stopping myself from motherfucking this dude to his face. Yeah. So... So instead of using force, you kind of used finesse. Yeah, I didn't, uh... I didn't, uh... try to box this guy. I judoed him. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Um, so that's like a real world example of strategic communication at work. Yeah. Uh, cannot just make you money, but save you money. Yeah. And that's kind of just life for me. Like that's just every day is something like that. It was, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. How about you? What are your, uh, your experience? You probably talk about this stuff with your clients all the time. Yeah. Like, so my, my experience with communication is less like in the, like, professional corporate world like that type of thing or marketing or anything like that I'm kind of more skilled in interpersonal communication whether that's how friends communicate with each other or family members or with your partner mm-hmm. um, and I do a lot of work with my clients on how to basically be more responsive at, like meaning that you pause before you respond think about what your intention is and like think about the person in front of you and like whether or not you like care about them and maintaining the relationship and think about what you want your outcome to be so we we want my goal similar to the framework i was using yeah it's just worded differently my goal is to help my clients learn to respond to the people in their life versus being reactive which is your first initial emotional gut reaction and what you want to say out of that place of emotion 
And that's reactivity to me. And it's not always what like worded the way you ideally want it to be. It's not always effective because it's coming from a place of passion and emotion and oftentimes defensiveness. And um, it it can often often when we're reactive, it leads the other person to become reactive and defensive as well. And then we can find ourselves in a disagreement. And so instead of reacting, I teach my clients how to instead of just using the emotional right side of their brain, activate the left side of their brain as well, the language skills, the logic, the problem solving, the reasoning part of their brain. So balancing out the left and right side of the brain to find their wise mind in the middle and responding from a place of that wise mind and who they actually wanna be, how they actually wanna show up in the world and in their relationships versus just the reactivity from the right emotional side of the brain. And so getting my clients to slow down in their interactions and use I statements versus you statements that tend to make people defensive. Mm -hmm. So I feel, I think, I need, and kind of having that be the structure. Here's how I'm feeling in this situation. I feel blank because of blank. I need, in the future, can we do it differently? Here's what I need mm -hmm. going forward. So that I feel or I think and I need is more of the structure I try to have my clients communicate through. Kind of like how you did with the car situation. Instead of saying, you guys, X, Y, and Z, you said, here, look, I, mm -hmm. here's my situation I need. Yeah. Here's what I need done. <clears throat> and so that's the same thing I teach my clients to do interpersonally. And... And that is usually effective, that ability to use I statements and be more responsive versus reactive. Um, and then when I also teach my clients that when someone, especially someone you care about, like a family member or friend, but it could even be like a coworker or an acquaintance or whatever, comes to you in a state of distress or passion or with a heightened emotion, a lot of my clients, especially my male clients, gut reaction is to try to fix the situation. Mm -hmm. Or um, not just my male clients, but of all my gendered clients, a lot of them want to engage in problem solving or fixing or like talking them down. And I teach my clients that if someone's that activated and in a deeply emotional state, they generally speaking want to be heard. They want to feel seen, heard, like and really understood and on on a diff, on a subconscious level their nervous system is coming to you because it wants to be soothed mm -hmm. and so i teach my clients how to list actively listen to the person validate what they need like validate their emotional experience make sure that like ask curious questions to make sure that they understand what the other person's communicating mm -hmm. sometimes reflect it back to them i can tell that this is really upsetting for you or i can i can see how angry this is making you that mm -hmm. makes so much sense that's that validation piece and then after the other person feels heard and understood and their nervous system is a little bit more soothed then their prefrontal cortex is back online then they're able to problem solve see other perspectives maybe you know want to reason through the situation mm -hmm. and so after they've been validated and soothed and understood sometimes people don't need anything more after that they just wanted to vent and be heard mm -hmm. other times they may be in a place of being like thank you for listening can you help me 
like work through this? Could you be a sounding board for me? Can we like, so it's kind of like waiting until after they're soothed a little bit and a, a less activated, then asking, would you like help solving this problem? And they may say yes or no. Um, but jumping right into fixing usually makes their big emotion get even bigger mm-hmm. because they don't feel really seen, heard, safe, and soothed yep. and understood. And so I kind of teach that skill of I statements and then validate first before jumping into problem solving and asking consent before you jump, jump into problem solving because they may not be looking for solutions. They just may be looking for comfort. So even when I'm working with my couples, I teach them, you know, if someone's coming to you with a big emotion, you can check in with them. Hey, I just want to be clear. Like, are you looking for comfort right now or solutions? Oftentimes they're looking for comfort first. Um, if they can't, if they're so activated, they can't answer, jump to comfort, jump to validating, jump to making sure they feel safe and understood. And then check in, are you looking for problem solving or solutions or are you, are we okay? And just see what they say um, and respond that way. And so that's kind of a skill that I teach people. What's funny to me about this is what you just described is 95% the exact same as the training that I got when I was an account manager at my first real job after college, Yeah, which is working for a tech company uh, doing uh, like customer service basically for a website platform. Like uh, business owners would buy a website, the website would display the stuff that they had to sell very, well, ideally very easily. And everybody would, you know, be happy, hunky-dory, but that's not always how it goes. And when you're costing people money and they're pissed off, you have to employ a a set of strategies that's really similar to what you just described. Um, Where, like, what what you said that made me really think of this was that they just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. And that was like a mantra in our account management team. When you would get a call or, or, you know, a communication of some type from a customer who was just irate about something and they're justified to be irate about it you cannot just go right into fix it mode because the first thing that they want to do is they want to make sure that someone understands and knows and hears them that they're pissed off right <clears throat> so you gotta like let them talk it out and let, let them say their piece and like during that time you really gotta listen and understand like okay what are their problems am i getting the full picture you know and then kind of like you know make note of all of that and then only then once they've gotten that emotion you know, out into the world, then you can say like, Hey, you know, own up to it, whatever it was, own up to it directly, validate them, say, Hey, you're right. Like a hundred percent, this is an issue. And then let me, let me repeat it back to you just to make sure I got everything. Okay. If that's all of it, here's how I want to, can, can we start working towards, you know, a plan to remedy these things that you've described, how, however you want to say those things. And that is like, I mean, other than switching it to I statements, that's pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, customer service and communicating with your loved ones, not such different skills. Yeah, but it's definitely a skill to be learned. It's not taught in school. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, these, these types of soft skills are so, so important. And it gets back to what we were talking about, like health careers, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, a lot of them are like administrative or communications based. Right. Yeah. But who's who's teaching those good skills? You know, you, you kind of get it in college. Like I went to a, a, a kind of communications program, but you get like the academic version of it. You know, you, right. People. I don't know. I, I felt this way for a while, but I feel like everybody, regardless of your, your station in society, needs to work a straight up customer facing uh, service job at some point. 
be a barista, be a pizza delivery driver, be a, so, like someone who takes, uh, you know, uh, issues over the phone for some company. Do that for a, an extended period of time so that you can get the experience, so that you know what it's like to be someone who's just like constantly shit on by people who are justifiably angry. Right. It's it's a it's part of the experience that really sets someone up to be a true systems thinker in certain contexts. One of the things that pisses me off is like I, I've met people in my career who they get paid a lot of money. They're smart people. They have great credentials. They went to such and such university or they they you know worked at such and such place. Right. But then you, you meet them and you you talk with them about a real problem. Right. And through talking with them, through questioning them, through asking their opinion on things, you can suss out who has done the thing in real life and, and like in a real material way, done the thing that you're talking about. And other people who have studied doing the thing that you're talking about. Academics has a place, but do not confuse it with being able to do the damn thing. And I don't know, that's just something I've come across in, in my professional life. It's, it, it takes, sometimes takes a little while because sometimes people are really good at masking it. But given enough time, if you are an expert in something, you should be able to suss out who, who is and who is not a real expert in, your, in a thing that is, is related to your field. Which is a big part of vendor management. Yeah. Um, anyway, hire me if you need to save money or make more money. Just do it. Just give me money and I put money in and I will return more money out. There. Done. Love it. <laughs>